Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. This morning we are going to continue in our series on the names of God. And so last week we began this series on the names of God. Um, it's called The name of the series is called I Am. Um, as God reveals himself to Moses in the desert in the burning bush, Moses says to God, who am I to say that has sent me? And God tells him, I am the one who has sent you. Tell them that I am has sent you. And from this place, we see that God is revealed, that God is not a God that is just kind of some nebulous abstraction, but he's actually revealed himself to us through his word and that he has communicated through his word characteristics about himself. And so when I think about the names of God and when I think about the way that God's names are revealed to us, I think about a time in my life where I began to learn how to read. And if you were here this week, I shared the story, but I feel like it's worth sharing again. And so I don't know if you can remember back to when before you could read and before when you would just kind of like ride in the back seat of the car, maybe the front seat of the car even, and look at all the street signs and just wonder, what do, what do all these symbols and words mean? And I remember looking at the signs knowing that they said something, but I couldn't read them. I didn't know what they were. But as I grew and as I got older and as I was able to sound out words and as I was able to grow in appreciation for how to read and how to, how to sound things out, I began to uh, understand what the signs read. And one of the first signs that I was able to ever read was the ACE hardware sign. It's a three-letter word. It says ACE. And I was like, ACE. I was like, what does ACE mean, Dad? And he's like, well, it's a hardware. And I was like, well, what's a hardware? You know, you're three years old. You're asking these questions. What's a hardware? He's like, well, let me take you inside, and I'll show you. And so we walk inside, and we see the nails, and we see the saws, and we see all that there is that ACE hardware is inside the store. So it wasn't even that this name was revealed to me, but I was given this opportunity to go and experience what this name meant. And it was a thrilling time in life to be able to, like, begin reading and understanding words that were around me. I mean, one of the favorite ones was whenever we would pull up to Little Caesars, and I'd read Little Caesars, and I knew that I was about to experience some pizza and some breadsticks, some crazy bread. It was an exciting time, but I knew that Little Caesars in and of itself wasn't, wasn't worth much. Whenever we would drive by Little Caesars, I knew that that meant we weren't experiencing pizza that day. But whenever we stopped and Mom and Dad went in and we came back out with pizza, I was like, all right. We're going to enjoy some of the, you know, <laughs> the amazing food of the emperor, Caesar. And, um, and so that's, I feel like that's kind of how it is with God. Like God reveals us his name. And he's revealed to us many names. We're going to spend between now and through the end of Thanksgiving kind of going through the different names of God. And I think the temptation is that we would look at that name and we'd be like, oh, that's such a great name. That name has such deep meaning. I'm sorry, that's my son right now. He's kind of going through some separation anxiety right now. So sorry about that. <laughs> I hope we can get past that, but that's definitely him. <laughs> but, um, but as we look at the names of God, what I don't want us to do is just be like, oh, that name, look at how that name is, is parsed in the Hebrew and like, look at how specific it is. What I hope is that this name of God would be an adjective and that it would be used in a way that we would in, 
engage and encounter experience with our God, and that we'd understand that God is much bigger than any of the names that we can come up with, but the fact that God has revealed himself in the form of a name is significant, and we should pay attention to that, and we should pay attention to those signs. And what signs do is that they create an expectation of what we are about to experience. And so last week, we looked at the name Elohim, and Elohim is the very first name that is revealed in the scriptures about who God is. It says, in the, begin, in the beginning, Elohim created. And this word Elohim means creator and mighty God. And so in the beginning, we have this, in the beginning, the creator, mighty God created. And what we find in this word Elohim is this kind of plurality. We find that God is in relationship, that God is one, but yet he is still somehow many. And what we find is that in this manyness, he appears in three different forms. He appears in the Father, he appears in the Son, and he appears in the Holy Spirit. And we can look throughout Scripture and see where Scripture alludes that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together in this place, in the beginning of all of creation, to form the world. And not only does God create the world through this kind of Elohimness of himself, but he also creates you and me. What we find in Psalm 139 is that we are woven and knit together by the hands of God, by the hands of Elohim, the God who is mighty, the God who creates, and that he sees us in our unformed bodies even before we were created, even before we were placed into our mother and father, our mother's womb. God knew us. He saw us. He was already working at putting us together. And this creates an incredible sense of awe around who God is. God is this Almighty Creator. And last week we ended with this question of like, as God is Creator, we are called to go and create. And the question was, what is God creating inside of us? Because we believe that God's Spirit, who is a part of this Elohimness, lives inside of us and is continuing to create with inside of us new things, things for His kingdom and His glory and His purpose. And so the question last week that we ended on was, what is this Elohim God creating inside of you? And so that was last week. That was kind of just a quick summary of where we were. And it opens the door to where we are going this morning. This morning we're going to begin in Leviticus chapter 19. Not a book that we open to very often. It's this book of the law. And in Leviticus 19 verse 2, God says this to Moses. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for the Lord your God am holy. And this word holy in the Hebrew is pronounced kedoshim. And it's K-E-D-O-S-I-M, kedoshim. And uh, what we find is that this word God am holy is Elohim kedoshim. And so it's this adjective that we add on to the word Elohim. And so we have the mighty God is holy. The mighty God is holy. And this adjective, Kedoshim, which means holy, or this idea of the Holy One, as it's often translated in the Bible, is used 900 times. And this place of holiness is this idea of God being in a category in and of and all by himself. That he is without blemish, that he is made perfect, that he is above all creation as he is the author of creation himself, and that he is separate from anything that is broken or imperfect in this world. 
And that at the end of the day, our God is whole. Our God is not a God that is broken. Our God is not a God who is feeble, but our God is a God who is strong, who is whole, <laughs> and who is for bringing all things that are broken back together. Now, when we hear the word holy and we think about the holiness of God, I think oftentimes there is kind of an, an offensiveness and a defensiveness in the sense that when we think of God's holiness, we think, okay, God is holy and I am not. And we don't really like the way that feels because we want to create a list of defenses as the way of like, but God, I'm trying my best over here. And the, really the biggest thing that we, that we fear around the holiness of God actually is being judged and being condemned and experiencing God's wrath. And normally a lot of talks around God's holiness will focus around these talks, around these ideas of God's wrath, of God's perfection, of God's judgment on us. And my hope this morning is that we would see God's holiness in a new light. Because yes, God is just. Yes, God does bring punishment, but it's for the punishment of evil that is in our world. Evil that when you and I were look at it, we would say that if God did not respond to that evil, we would say our God is not just, our God is not good. We would cry out, where is our God? That's the type of things that our God is coming against with this holiness. This morning, my hope is that we would be able to look at the holiness of God and proclaim that he is good and that he is great and that his character is amazing and that he draws us into relationship through who he is and through the nature of who he is. And so uh, for us to better understand this mystery of holiness, I want to go to like a children's prayer, a prayer that we have probably all prayed as a child, probably one that you have memorized, and it's really short and it's really simple, and you'd normally pray it over mealtime. And it would be, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. In this prayer, we are declaring God's holiness. We are declaring that God is great. We're saying that in God's power, God's power is great. It's so powerful that he was able to create the universe, that he was able to lovingly knit you and I together before we were created in our mother's womb. And that in his power, he is good and he is holy. So we say, God is great. And then we talk about his character and we say, God is good. And God's character is good. It is filled with goodness. In God, no evil can be found. In fact, God's holiness works against evil and actively pursues evil to eradicate it. And he does so that in the end days, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, we're going to be in a place where there is peace and goodness and that evil will be conquered. And so it's in God's holiness we find God's good power and God's good character. And those are things that lead us to a place of peace and worship instead of driving us to this place of fear and condemnation. And so we see God's love and God's kind of holiness in Psalm 99. He says this, it says, The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity and you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. 
holy is he. You see, we worship God because of his great power and his great character and because he is holy. And I hope that as we continue to proclaim his holiness, it will begin to feel less weird to us. Because, again, whenever I think of God's holiness, and maybe this is just me, but whenever I hear God's holy and that God is holy, there automatically creates this separation that says that God is distant, that God cannot be reached, and that God is not near. When in the reality is that in God's holiness, he could not be more near. The nature of God's holiness actually draws us into near relationship with him. And we see this, that it's by his holiness that he not only confronts evil in this world, but he also provides a way to restore us back to a place of holiness in spite of our own evil. I think that that's pretty amazing because there's a lot of times when we think of God's holiness, we think of this divide. God is holy. We are not. God is going to cast us off because of our unholiness. But the reality is that because God's good power and good character He creates a way that invites us back into relationship and restores what is broken because of the evilness that's inside of us. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 6, still in the Old Testament. So in Isaiah chapter 6, this is the story of Isaiah being confronted by the holy God. It says this, In that year King Uzziah died and saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two that covered his face and two that covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice who called to him, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said to him, this is Isaiah, saying to God, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. At this point, Isaiah is terrified because it is this kind of belief that God is separate, and if God, the Holy God, was to reveal His holiness to you, it probably meant that you were going to, be, you were going to die because God was so holy and that we were so not that we would be consumed by God's holiness. But that's not what happens to Isaiah. It says, Then the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongues of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So God appears to Isaiah. Isaiah is just going about his daily business. And God just shows up. And he reveals his glory to him and in all of his splendor. And in response to God's holiness, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. For I am a man who is unworthy to be in the presence of God. And in God, in his goodness, in his greatness, and in his holiness, guess what? He doesn't kill Isaiah. He doesn't wipe him out. Instead, he provides a way to to create a place of invitation into relationship with him. And the seraphim comes and touches those lips, and makes them clean. And what we see is that God has a habit of doing this in his holiness throughout the rest of Scripture and throughout the rest of time. And he does this by first creating this nation of Israel, that is this nation that is supposed to bring holiness and wholeness to the rest of the world. As the rest of the world is broken and in mourning and lost, 
He creates this nation that's supposed to go out and bless and love and bring the brokenhearted to God and bind them up. But as humans, we, we're fickle and we're broken too. And so that endeavor kind of fails and falls a little short. And so God sends his son, Jesus, into the world who's also holy to create this place where we can have invitation and relationship with our God who is holy, who is good in power and in character. And so when we look at the New Testament, we see God sending his son. What we find is that Jesus cannot be helped but seen as holy as he begins his ministry career. So Jesus, he's out and about and he's healing people. He's confronting evil and he's casting that evil out and he's bringing wholeness where there is brokenness because he is holy and that's what his holiness does. And when he's confronting one of these demons, one of the demons shouts out, are you here to destroy us, O holy one of Israel? This demon, even the evils of this world, understand who Jesus is and the role that he plays and that he is going to destroy them, that he is here to cast them out. And so Jesus casts this demon out of this man, and this man is brought from the state of brokenness to a state of healing, to a state of restoration. And this is what it looks like to experience and to encounter the holiness of our God. It's a change of state from brokenness and incompleteness to a place of fulfilledness and wholeness and of joy and of life. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling the disciples, and one of the disciples that he calls is Peter, and Jesus performs this great, not, yeah, Jesus performs this great miracle in front of Peter where Peter's boat is about to sink because he's brought in the biggest catch of fish in his entire life, and Peter kind of leaves the boat as they're bringing it in. He comes running up to Jesus, and he throws himself down before him, and he says, depart from me, O Lord, because I am a sinful man. There's this place where we are confronted with holiness, where we do have to admit our own brokenness. But the beautiful thing is that in front of holiness, especially a holiness that is good, that's restorative, that's looking for relationship and community, it becomes very easy to admit that we are broken. You see that immediately Isaiah's like, look, I'm broken, God. We see Peter saying, look, God, I'm broken. We see even the demon just before Jesus is about to cast him out. Look, I know who you are, and I am afraid. And he's on the wrong side of the equation, and he gets sent out. This is what it looks like to serve a God who is holy, to serve a God who is with us. And that's what Jesus' name is, is that it is God with us. And we see that throughout Jesus' life that he points to the Father, and he calls the Father, who is this God of the Old Testament, holy. He calls him first Father, and he says, holy. He teaches us how to pray, and he says, our Father, who art in heaven, holy be your name. We see right there this incredibly familial relationship around the word Father, and also this word holy that follows it right after, which we often think is this distant God, this distant place, kind of devoid of relationship. And here, Jesus says, no, these two things come together. These two things are coming together in the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, as he's about to die, and be resurrected and ascended to heaven. He tells his disciples that I am sending you my spirit. And this spirit is, is the Holy Spirit. He calls him that. He calls him the Holy Spirit. That's his name. And this Holy Spirit comes and he lives with inside of us. He takes up dwelling with inside of us. In the past, 
God had set himself up in temples. He had set himself up in buildings. For the first time in all of creation, God is inviting himself to live inside of us, to be in deep community and relationship with us. And he knows. He knows that we're evil. He knows that we're messed up. He knows that we're like Isaiah with unclean lips. But that doesn't stop him, no. If anything, in his holiness, he pursues us to confront that evil inside of us and replace it with wholeness and relationship inside of us. And so this morning, as we think about the the holiness of God, and as we think about the name about God is holy, or holy God, I want us to ask, how, how does that lead us into a place of experience? Because it's not just good enough to look at the name. It's not just good enough to say that all these things are like true about God. But how, how can we grow into a place where we can experience and acknowledge that God is holy? I think that it just looks about taking some time to reflect around this idea that our God is a God who creates and what he creates is good. That our God is a God who, even in the garden, when we sin three chapters in, where we are promised death, God doesn't come with death and with a sword to kill Adam and Eve because of their sin. Instead, he comes with clothing because they're now naked and they're covered in shame. And he says, here, put on some proper clothes and let me cover your shame. Let me cover your guilt. He confronts this evil and he takes what is broken and he makes it whole again with these clothing. He's a people, he's a God who comes and he delivers us from slavery and bondage as the people in Israel are enslaved to the people of Egypt. He makes a way that confronts the evil there and brings wholeness and a nation out of Israel. He's a person who sent his son in our place to confront the evil in our lives so that we might have the opportunity of being made whole, of being in right relationship with our God. And so this morning, I think some of us in the application piece of like, like understanding and experience the holiness of God, we just need to sit here in that place and just kind of rest and reflect on how good our God is, that our, that our God is great and that our God is good. And let us thank him for our food. Amen. I think the second place where we can go is after we've kind of rested in this place is that, <clears throat> is that we can begin to walk out holiness in a life that is lived. So when we en- encounter the holiness of God, what we need to do is receive it in a way that he becomes our strength. Because a lot of times when we hear of holiness and we hear and we talk about living a holy life, a lot of times what comes to our mind is this list of like moral obligations. And it's a list of moral obligations that if we're honest, we really don't want to touch or attend to. Or at least there's some of them that we're like, I really don't want to touch that one. And a lot of times when we talk about people in holy living, we like want to take a step back also, just like we want to take a step back from the God that we serve when we say holy God, because we think that these people that perceive themselves as holy are also going to be people that are filled with judgment and wrath towards other people. And so I would say that in the Christian world, and probably the world in general, it is highly unpopular to have the goal of your life to want to go and strive and be holy. If anything, 
we want to assimilate, and if anything, we want to say, no, I'm not like those people. No, I'm not going to judge you. No, I'm not actually this hoity-toity person of perfection. Actually, what we want to see is we want some grittiness. I know there's some people, and I used to be one of them in college, where I was like, I prided myself on the grittiness that I had in life. I wanted to be like, you know what? I've seen some things. You want to see some things that I've seen? Let me tell you about the things that I've seen. Because you want to be relatable. You want to be engaging. And sometimes that caused me to forsake my holiness and engage in some things that I know that God wouldn't want me to have. But for the sake of trying to appear relatable, I would give that up. I'd say, I don't want to be holy. That's not what I'm looking for. But our God tells us, our God tells us, be holy as I am holy. And so we can't ignore this command. We can't ignore this reality that God wants us to be holy. But the reality is, is that how do we enter into this place where life is not dull, where life is not a list of obligations, where life is not a place where we have moral superiority and self-righteousness, where we look down upon others and judge. And this is where I believe we have to go back. We have to go back and see the holiness of God in the right form. And the holiness of God in its right form is that it confronts evil, but it brings grace and peace and holiness with it. And so if we live our lives in a place that confronts evil, but we just leave in its path a wake of destruction, I'd say we're not doing holiness. I'd say that's not it. But if we want to do the holiness like our God is holy, it looks like a God who is full of incredible grace, full of incredible patience, full of incredible kindness. One that allows you to name evil and wants to stamp it out for the right reasons and to bring healing instead of further brokenness into people's lives. And I believe that this is what God is calling us to if we are to go and live holy lives as our God is holy. It's to be a light to the world, to say that wholeness is found here, to say whatever it is in your life, whatever vice that's in your life that is controlling you more than what you want to give credit to, whatever is broken, you can come to God and you can come to his people and you can come to his community here and you can find restoration. You can find freedom from that thing that has more control over you than what you'd really like. You can find community and relationship in a place where you have found isolation and hopelessness in the past. This is what it looks like to live holy lives. And I think at the end of the day, holiness and living out holiness can be summed up in one verse, this beautiful verse in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says this. He says, let your love be genuine. May you hate what is evil and may you cling to what is good. If we walk away with anything of like, what do we do from this place? How do we go from this place? Seeking to live a holiness that is like our God's, I believe it is to do that. To let your love be genuine, to hate what is evil, and to cling to what is good. Because this is who our God is. Our God's love is incredibly genuine, and it is available for all people. Our God hates evil. And at the end of the day, he's going to destroy it and eradicate it from this world. 
And so then the things that are going to last are the things that are good. And he, that's the things that he wants us to cling on to. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would be a people that's undone, that we would be a people that stands in the holiness of God and that we would allow ourselves to have the sin revealed to our lives and in, where we could confess, God, I'm not holy, you are. And that we would also receive the invitation to be made whole again, to be cleansed. That we would not be holy on our own merit, but that we would take on the holiness that is our God. And this morning I hope that we would have our minds changed that this idea of holiness is not just this boring, kind of lofty, distant idea, but that holy is incre- holiness is incredibly near, that it's incredibly present, and that it's incredibly relational. And that the Holy One came to make us holy. So it's my hope that we would join in Him in living lives that are holy because of the One who is. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and to have your name revealed to us. This name that is Holy God. And God, you are holy. And God, like Isaiah, we stand before you undone. And God, we thank you that because of your holiness, because of your great power and your great character, that in your holiness you create a way for us to share in your holiness with you. So God, I pray that you would free us this morning of any thoughts of condemnation, of any thoughts of being condemned, because God, when we are found in you, there is no condemnation. God, I pray that we would experience and know the freedom that is found in your holiness, and that you would give us the courage and the strength to walk out that holiness in relationship to others as we go from this place this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. We're in this place where we're going to respond um, in some worship. We're going to sing.